0: This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Master Marketer Podcast, where we talk about the mindset, skill sets, tool sets that drive results. And today we've got James Furbush with us, who is the VP of Marketing at Access One. James, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
2: We're excited to have you here and we're excited to dive in. So one of the interesting things that, um, that I think a lot of people can relate to, James, is that you are this master marketer, but team of one. And, you know, that's a huge mindset to kind of wrap. So, I mean, it's kind of a perfect segue here. Let's talk about the mindset. What kind of a mindset do you need if you are a team of one?
0: Um, I th- yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think uh, for me, um, the biggest mindset you could have as a team of one is um i think honestly just sort of having that sort of scrappy mentality i think the hardest thing is um you know you really have no one to work like i don't want to say you don't have anyone to work with because i've got salespeople and and um and actually technically now after post acquisition i'm a we're a team of three but um but i think on like limited teams um you know, you're really competing against better-funded teams or, or people who, um, you know, marketing teams where you've got people doing every every function. And and for me, it's it's really just having that mindset of um, you know getting shit done in some ways, because um, I have to wear all the hats. Right, I've got to be the product marketer, I've got to be the event marketer, I've got to be the content guy, the demand the demand gen guy. Um, you know, and on down and down and down. And so it's really just having that mindset of, um, I guess like, you know, yeah, getting shit done, but like not letting, you know, perfect be the enemy of good in some ways, right? It's like, I think you could perseverate and take forever to do blog posts or take forever to do just about anything. But as a team of one, it's better to just like push stuff out into the world and not, stress too much about whether it's going to be the best thing ever um and really just kind of have that mindset of um you know throwing a lot of darts at the dartboard i suppose um to kind of see what what sticks and, and what um will land with your with your audience
1: so speaking of throwing a lot of darts at the dartboard and uh you know you mentioned you know you're the demand gen guy you're the content guy and I mean the, the thing that we want to focus in on specifically today is really certain extent your content strategy that you've implemented recently. Sure. Um, I mean, really, you know, you and I spoke a little bit before this and you mentioned, you know, the need to punch above your weight class. So maybe, get, maybe set the stage for us a little bit and then let's again kind of talk about mindsets around that and then kind of how you, how and why you decided to do it.
0: Yeah, so, so for me, I mean, I, I am a content person I mean, that's kind of like my marketing silo if my career ever goes sideways. I mean, I will always have content to, to fall back on as, as my like thing that I have mastered pretty well. Um, at Q Squared, so for the past 10 months at, at Q Squared, you know, we'll go back to like post-acquisition um, before we got acquired by, by Access One. But for me at, at Q Squared, um, I mean, my mindset going in to my content strategy and, and really um, how that content would feed into to kind of building and creating demand was what are the things that I can do that, you know, again, make us look like um, we're, you know, that we have a larger budget or that we are a company, um, you know, frankly, at Q squared, like my budget was very tiny, you know, I had probably five grand a month to to spend on marketing and that is like soup to nuts um on on everything. And and so, you know, at some companies that is that's a rounding error, right? I mean, people will lose that money in the couch cushions. Um, and certainly I would think some of our, you know, companies that we're competing against in the market, you know, that would be the case. And, and so for me it was, um, how can I take what I'm doing and create content that actually just looks like um, you know, I've got $5,000 in the, you know, that I'm just throwing it away. Um, so I, for me, that was why, pardon me, why I decided to kind of do the, the podcast route was, um, I could be very creative. I could do it on the cheap relatively. And I could honestly cut it up and repurpose a, a 40 minute interview or a 35 minute interview into like a million different assets. Um, so for me it's it's about creating uh, a something different, right? Um kind of looking at the market. Um and, and frankly, you know, it's it's really hard. Like uh, Austin, a lot of our companies, you know, we are touting the same, you know, performance metrics improvements. A lot of the language is, is very much the same. Um and so it really becomes hard um to, to stand out when you don't have a ton of money to, to throw at the problem. So for me, I think I just looked at the podcast um, and having that be like sort of the foundational asset, like the big rock piece of content that was part of our strategy. Um, a, it was gonna, I think get us, um, it was gonna help nurture sales deals. So get uh, sales members access to accounts that they might not have access to otherwise. Um, that would be you know one good thing and it was a a piece of content the recorded interviews that we could use that i could use in a million different ways uh very efficiently uh to feed social media to feed paid ads um and eventually you know it could feed demand gen as well um if we needed to do like demand capture and and you know take those assets and repurpose them into a way that you know was a gated thing um I thought it was going to give us foundationally uh, more material to work with in, in order to, to do that long term. Um, so for me, I mean, as someone who had never done a podcast before, I think it just um, it kind of seemed like a no brainer, especially when I looked at like the market. You know, healthcare podcasts in general, I think, are um, it's a lot of like doctor influencers or it's like trade pubs who are doing paid like they have a podcast, but honestly, it's just like a paid, you know, media vehicle. So I honestly thought there was like pretty good opportunity to bring something different and unique, um, to market. And that I also thought would be something that would help us stand out.
1: So I'm curious, you know, um, jumping in, uh, into the podcasting space, how did that, how did that play out, uh, within the organization? Cause that's, that's one of those where it's like, well, how are we going to measure it? Well, we don't know. Right. It's, well, uh, and, and
2: I would take that one step further and say like, what was the mindset? Cause it sounds like your mindset was how do I maximize my budget? And in your words, punch above my weight class, you know, show up looking, you know, we've got the peacock feathers all, all flared out and we look like this big mighty marketing organization. Yeah. But, um, but what was the mindset, you know, when you brought that up to your, to your colleagues or your, your, um, you know, your, your bosses and say, Hey, we're going to do a podcast. What was the mindset that you were up against? Um, uh,
0: so it would probably depend on who I was selling it to within the company, you know, fortunately Q squared at the time, um, we were only 15 people. So it was very small. And I, um, I worked with a great, and I still work with a great colleague, um, he sort of has straddled his career in sales and marketing this guy, Jeb Burrows, who right now is our head of business development. Um, and he instantly got it. He's like, this is amazing. Like if you can pull this off, like this is going to be fantastic. Um, I think he instantly saw like from a content engine perspective, from a sales nurture perspective. I mean, I think like he instantly, um, got it. And so he was a huge help, like helping me sell it to the company because he was, um, you know, he had been with Q Square for about three years before I started. So he was kind of one of the early, you know, first employees. So that was great. Like having, like finding that champion and having that champion who could help me sell it to, um, our founders and senior, senior leadership, um, I think was huge. Um, the, the biggest thing was when I did it, um, I think people were a little bit skeptical. They were like, all right, I, you know, we hired you, and we're gonna trust you. This is maybe outside of our comfort zone, but we're gonna, you know, we've hired you for a reason, and we'll we'll put our trust in you. Uh, the funny thing is, when um, I initially kind of rolled out like the editorial calendar, and I'm like, okay, like we've secured all these guests, and da 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 da. And here's here's the thing, and I remember like my CEO was like, oh, like this feels like a lot of effort. Like I thought you were just gonna do like one interview. And I was like, no, Bill, like it's a podcast, like it's an ongoing thing. Like once you get on that, like hamster wheel, like there's no getting off. Like this is (laughs) not just like one interview. This is like, if I had the budget, I would be doing this on a weekly basis. Maybe like, you know, i would be doing this as much as I I could. Um, My bandwidth is probably going to allow us to do like two a month, but like, we're going to start with like two a month. We're going to start with what I can do. Um, but we're going to like crank on this because this is going to feed social. And, and then I think like eventually the light bulb went off when, um, you know, eventually they started having acquisition talks and, and the company who did acquire us, they were like, Dude, this podcasting you have is like really great. Like, how are you getting these guests? And so then I think like that was also like an external validation as well, that it was like, oh, holy shit. Like you're getting an hour time with like the CEO of Jefferson health, you're getting an hour time with the CFO of so-and-so and you know, the head of Rev like we started like lining up like some pretty great guests. And I, I think then that that's when like the flip switch when they're like, Oh yeah. Like you're getting time um, with these like incredible accounts that like we're going after and trying to sell to. Mm-hmm and now you're doing a thoughtful handoff to introduce that person to the salesperson. So now like they're getting a warm introduction if like, they haven't been able to do that in the past. So I think like once they saw that plan start to play out, then I think it was a lot easier. I think they started to get that buy-in, um, you know, one of our sales guys, you know, came back and um, we had another salesperson, David, who was like really great with, like, let's get this person on, like, he obviously saw this as a way to, like, engage his accounts and, like, his territory, and so he was instrumental in, like, getting a lot of, a lot of guests for the show, and he came back, and he's like, man, I wish it was as easy to get um, someone to take a demo of our product as it is to get them to be on your podcast, and at this, but at the same time, and so, like, that's, like, that validation where it's, like, like no one wants to like be sold to, but as soon as you flip it to like invite them to be a guest on this show and be part of this experience and thing that we're building, we can then leverage that to eventually sell to them. And, and we've done that, right? Cause then it's like, Hey, right. would you love to see what our product can do? Like, I'd love to just show you, love to get your feedback. Um, and so then I think sales guys have then leveraged that um, in a way that's beneficial from them for them. Um, so it did take some time. It wasn't like an overnight. Um, it was, it wasn't an overnight thing. Uh, it wasn't an overnight success. And I don't think like people fully bought in right away, but I I think, you know, they, they hired me. I think they had the trust to, to do that. Um, I think it helps that at the same time I was doing the podcast, I was also like, okay guys, and I'm like doing LinkedIn ads to try to get you demos and I'm doing, you know, in-mail stuff and, doing all these other things um that like were layer like laying this foundation but i think from the get-go like i sold the founders that was like look you guys have not done any investments in marketing Mm -hmm. so there's like a whole shit stuff that we got to do at the bottom (laughs) of the pyramid like before (laughs) like like you're not even being indexed by Google. There were some like very basic things that like they just hadn't been doing. And so I think like going in from the get-go to be like, guys, we got like a 10 month ramp up. Like we're going to do ads and we're going to do all this stuff. Um, But I think like I had that plan from the get-go of like, here's how we're going to ramp stuff up. I think that made it a little bit easier where it wasn't like they were immediately like, have you closed any deals attributed to the podcast or have you closed? Like, it was like, no, because, you know, we're doing all of this stuff and if we do it all right, then like, yes, like long-term five months from now or four months, like we're going to have that awareness. And I think like we will have created demand and, you know, maybe like, maybe we'll get a guest and and, like, we'll close the deal um, as a result of that uh, being on the podcast Um, but that's also like kind of in sales's hands, like, you know, we're going to tee it up and if they're good at their job and I'm good at my job, like, you know, yeah, it'll, it'll all kind of come together. Um, so I think I, I was like very clear about setting some of those expectations up, up front on like, I think just the work that we had to do in terms of. Like when you're starting from zero, there's like a whole lot of stuff, um, that we needed we needed to do, and I was kind of doing those things in parallel, and and so I think because of that, it gave me like the bandwidth to like also have this like podcasting over here. That um, you know they were kind of like willing to like let me run with
1: that. Um, yeah, know. yeah. I think that's there's two things from everything you said that I want to highlight from a mindset perspective. Uh, one is not your mindset, but the you know executive leadership mindset, which is. I think it, it says a lot where somebody can say, "Hey, you know what? I don't, we hired you for a reason. We're gonna trust you to do the thing that we hired you to do, right?" Because there's, you know, there's a lot of this stuff out there about, you know, only work for the CEO who yeah. understands marketing, and it's like I think I think you I think you and I might have even exchanged some comments on LinkedIn yeah. about this. It's like, yeah, well, you know, it doesn't have to be that. As long as the person that hires you, like you said, trusts you to do the thing that hired you to do, great. They don't need to understand it right away. They don't need to be the best marketer in the world um the other thing that i think is critical that you mentioned is you didn't just jump into the deep end if you will and said okay let's start a podcast without having anything else you mentioned no let's take care of some of this low-hanging fruit first and then have this kind of parallel work stream of we're gonna you know we're gonna run some you know paid search ads linkedin ads whatever it was you guys were doing make sure the site's you know indexed and optimized etc kind of capture the demand that exists as much as we can while we're building something else, like get the, get the base level of things going. I think a lot of organizations, especially what we talked about, like kind of team of one type thing, they're trying to do too many things and they jump into the podcast or the events or the whatever. And it's like, they don't have anything else going and it just takes too long for those things to really impact pipeline. Cause it does, right? That's a three to six month roadmap. And yeah. At some point, you know, someone's like, okay, where are my leads or where, you know, where's my pipeline? It's like, well, it's coming. I promise
0: it's coming. Yeah. Well, and, and for us too, at Q squared, like we had this other thing where it was like, it's like, do we even know how to like measure that stuff? Like, I don't know. We have like some RevOps challenges like with that in and of itself, that's a whole other conversation. Um, I think for me, like as a team of one, like mindset, my mindset to jumping into, um, being a team of one was very much, um, I approached it. Like I knew that if I could like deliver wins for sales, um, in terms of like, you're, you're going out to prospects, like your deck that you're doing, like, doesn't look great. Like, let's make you guys feel super confident that you're going to have like the best deck, um, in the world. Let's get some customer testimonials so that we have solid, you know, customer proof points, um, and things like that like let's fix up the website um so that if people do come to the site they can book a demo very easily that gets automatically fed to um you know that's not going to get lost in like the email shuffle um yeah, that we can respond within 24 hours and, and things like that and um and do some of those things so i was very yeah my mindset um in some ways like from the beginning was very much like deliver some solid key wins to your sales org and your sales leadership um, so that you can get the buy-in down the road for some of the other stuff that you want to do. I mean, I didn't launch the podcast. It was probably, I think I was three months into the job. Um, they hired me. I was three months in. We had, um, It was funny because this was back in 2021 and and so this was still like weird covid times like should we meet up should we not meet up and um our sales head of sales peter was like we're gonna have everyone to my house we're gonna like wear masks we're gonna like do like a mini sales kickoff you know kind of thing and so it wasn't until that july or whatever like at the sales kickoff when i like even presented like okay like now that we've got you guys in good shape for like when you have to go like nurture prospects, and you know we now have some some good customer stories and all this stuff, I'm like now we're gonna like turn on the the jet engines. We're gonna like do this podcast and launch it. We're gonna like do paid ads, and we're gonna start to do like all these other things where we can now like really build demand and, and all that stuff. So yeah, my mindset was like deliver wins for sales so that they'll love you, and then hopefully that'll give me the and it did, but give me the rope to you know. I feel confident that I could also say, and now we've got this podcast thing we're gonna do, and that's gonna be yeah. our content strategy and you know, this whole other thing. So um, well,
2: I I would love to talk about skill set because you you really shared a lot about the mindset, which was which is really great. And I think it's important when we start something new uh and and in this case the podcast was very brand new for for your company i don't know if it was something that you had done in the past no right so so setting that you know having a mindset communicating the objectives com- communicating what people should be thinking about like hey you know setting setting the expectation is really important but then you know we want to talk about skill set <laughs> said right now that you had never done a podcast before. So how did you level up your skills? What, you know, what resources did you use? What what, tool sets is the next thing. So we'll talk about the tools that you use, but, but skills, you know, how did you go from, okay, my mindset is I need to deliver wins for my team. I'm a team of one and I've got to produce content and I've got to punch above my weight class. So we're going to start the podcast to then skill set. How do I actually produce a podcast. So tell us a little bit about your journey to upskilling, to be able to, to do this.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I had like the fortunate, um, the fortunateness, I suppose, where, you know, I'm on like LinkedIn marketing. I'm seeing like these other people do, I'm like podcasts. And my mindset is always, I think my entire life and I'm like, well, if if so-and-so can do it, like how hard can it be? I could definitely figure that out. Um, I think I just, you know, I, I kind of talk to a lot of people, a lot of the skill set, um, my background is in journalism, right? So my background, my early career and um, and being a content marketer in some ways is is a lot of um, doing interviews, talking to people, um, essentially, sh- you know, learning things and sharing it with other people. And so I've I've traditionally done that from a written word perspective, um, blog posts and guides and, you know, reports and white papers and all that stuff. Um, And and so, but to me, I was kind of like, okay, well, this is basically just a a recorded interview. And, um, and, you know, I've been fortunate where I've, I've worked, you know, at Athena health, where a video um, was a big part of our content strategy. um, Cause our head of you know, I learned under, you know, a head of content, you know, VP of content communications, who was very invested in video. Um, I think he cut his teeth at like PBS um, and doing like documentaries and, and things like that. So I got to see like uphand, like how you do like good interviews where you're um, you know, asking questions in a way that, you know, translates well to to video and audio and, and things like that. So for me and those skill sets, it, it honestly was just, I think, taking the sort of interview skills and, and the prep skills of, of being a journalist and just applying it to a new medium. Um, and so that was kind of the, the first thing was, okay, you've done this a million times before. The The way you deliver it might be different, but, um, you know, when you go in to interview someone, you got to have all of your questions ready. You have to have all your research and, and background done. Um, a lot of the new skill sets were okay, but I want my guests to feel comfortable. So how do I, how do I be proactive enough to make sure that when my guest comes on the show, um, you know they're feeling like this is something that's te- you know, putting them in a place to be successful, right? So being um, proactive and sending the guest questions ahead of time, making sure that they feel comfortable with. The technology and the different stuff we're going to use to record the interview. So, so a lot of the skill sets we're honestly just developing. Um, I'm not the most like proactive person. I think um, you know, as a journalist, sometimes we we do fly by the the seat of our pants a little bit. Um, so, a lot of it for me was kind of developing the skills to um, honestly set set my guest up to to feel comfortable and successful. That we're going to have a good conversation. That uh, it feels natural. That um, you know, they feel comfortable and at ease enough in some ways to not feel robotic and, and all of that stuff. So it, it was a little bit of just bringing that, um, to a new medium and, and, um, and I think it's been successful so far, but yeah, I mean, I'm still honestly, uh, learning in some ways, um, on what makes a, a good podcast in terms of like a format or, um, you know how i do that prep or how i kind of sequence the questions and, and things like that or, or ask follow-ups i think um it, it's really just kind of developing those and, and part of it is you have to just get into it um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in order to yeah. like gotta get your reps in you gotta get your reps in right yeah it's it's like you know it, it sounds bad but um no one's going to be good right out of the, the gate um And so I think, you know, having some good guests who are very talkative um, and could carry a lot of the early load, I think was um, something that I learned that was valuable early on, where I could just kind of like have them come on and ask that initial question and then like sit back and.
2: (laughs) Hey, that's what we're doing on the show here. (laughs) So so
1: speaking, speaking of getting good guests and skill sets, I think that's a, I'd love to hear about that. Like, well, how were you able to get the types of guests that you got?
0: I mean, so part of it happened where, you know, my, again, my early career marketing was at Athena health, which is, uh, you know, in the healthcare technology space, I mean, it's a pretty big well-known brand. Um, you know, it's like the equivalent of like working for Salesforce in some ways. Um, you know, like it's just, a, it's, it's, it's like a very well-known brand. It's customers love it. Um, and so when I was there, I mean, I was there for four or five years and I just developed a huge network um, through content and, um, and all of that, you know, cause we were doing guest blogs and, and things like that. We had tons of um, events. Uh, that I would get to go and, and meet people at and stuff like that. So I just had like a lot of ton of good contacts. And then beyond that, like um, a lot of the marketers at Athena that I worked with have moved on to other companies and, and I've stayed in touch with them. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a really great community and, and um, family when you work there in some ways. And so almost from the get go, I was able to tap into my existing network um, and I just reached out to a ton of people, right. It's, it's, a lot of um, in some ways like building your own sales pipeline, like building a guest pipeline for a podcast. I had to like, I set up like a, a little bit of like a, like Trello board, um, almost like as a CRM for like managing um, like my guest pipeline. Um, we could talk about that in the, in the tools section in a little bit. Um, but I think I was fortunate enough where I just, from the moment I was like, I'm gonna do a podcast and from the moment I was like, this is not just going to be about um, like patient payments. We're going to take it up to make it more broadly about the patient experience in, in healthcare. care. Uh, that gave me access to a t- like a lot of potential guests and, and a lot of different avenues for how we could talk about it. Um So I I think part of it was like I'd secured a couple of early guests from my days at Athena and they were big enough names in the industry where I was then able to leverage their names um, to get more guests, right? So then when I went out to guests that I didn't know, it was like, hey, do you want to be on this podcast? Like we've had, um, you know, person A, B, and C on there, the CEO of this health system and the CFO of this and the COO of, you know, this. Um, just to create the illusion of like, this is something that you want to be a part of. And, and so a lot of it is, again, you know, reading the trade, like reading industry news. So you're kind of reading news and seeing who's quoted in articles or who is on um, doing, you know, presentations in um, in other um, at events and, and things like that. And then like following up on LinkedIn and just kind of doing sort of the typical journalist thing where, um, you know, you're reaching out and, and kind of figuring out how to get in touch with them and, and saying, hey, I'm doing this thing. Like, do you want to be a part of it? And making it feel like it's something that they want to be a part of. Um, so that, that helped um, in, a, in a lot of ways for me. Um, and then the ball just got rolling. Then like sales got into it, right? So then like all of a sudden, like in the company, it was like, then it wasn't just me recruiting. It was like, I had two or three other people being like, well, we should get this person. We should get that person. it's like, absolutely. Like, if you've got good guests, like reach out and make an introduction. Like I will take it from there. Yeah. Um, And so then all of a sudden that just like, once the momentum started building where we had like a few early wins, thanks to my time at Athena Health. And like, I mean, when I say that I tapped into my own network, I mean, I was able to get like, um, we haven't secured it yet, but like, I had a coworker. He is now the chief medical officer at like Walgreens. Right. And so like, I was able to like reach out to him and be like, Kevin, like I'm doing this podcast. And he's like, I want to be a part of it. Like probably got to jump through some hoops because I'm at Walgreens now and they're a fortune five company and you know, they've got PR and he's like, we got to sell it to them. Cause like, they can get me on the today show and no offense to <laughs> you, but like like my time is better spent like being on the Today Show with, uh, you know, Kathy Lee Griffin and whoever than it is to be, you know, spend an hour with you. But, you know, again, like he's like, if we can make it work, we'll make it work. Yeah. But but like then like you're able to use the, him and like these people like give that credibility. So I think, you know, what I would say to people who if they want to start a podcast, like leverage sales because sales are out talking to people if you've got customer success, like leverage your customer success team, because you've got customers who frankly, um, that's an easy win. Like they're already a customer, right? So that, that is like your, your early easy win. Um, if you can get customers to just be on your podcast, like they're already your ICP, yeah. they already love your company and are doing business with you. Um, so chances are very good that, um, your customers, if you can be like, Hey, we're doing this thing. Do you want to be a part of it? it's probably a much easier. Yes. And then once you've got those wins, you know, you, sales can use that to, you know, get you some wins on their pipeline. And I think it just, it goes, builds from there. And then, you know, also like know your industry, right? It's like, know who in your industry um, are saying interesting things. Um, probably one of the best guests I had, frankly, was a nurse um, who saw one of our ads on LinkedIn. And like, she reached out to me and was like, Hey, I saw this thing. Like, this is super cool. Like, do you, are like, you doing a show for nurses? Like you're talking about the patient experience. Like how do nurses factor into that? And I was like, honestly, Michelle, like I love nurses. Nurses are at the heart of the patient experience. Like I haven't really given it much thought though. Do you want to be on the show? And she's like, yes, like, absolutely. And she was one of the best guests we've had. And like, she kind of just saw an ad that I used to promote the show and then like reached out. And um, so I think there are like a million ways that like you could um, leverage uh, to get guests. I think it's just, again, like how, how proactive and how creative do you want to be? And, um, and, and really most people I found um, when you ask them to want to be on a podcast, like they'll say, yes. Like, I think most people love being flattered. If you, are like I want to hear what you have to say like about your job um, they are really more flattered than anything else and'll will, will give you the time of day um, for sure for so. sure
2: one, one question one follow-up question on the skill set front so you mentioned that you were bringing in your peers in sales and, and other parts of the organization what skill sets did you feel that you needed to train your colleagues or, or were they asking you, hey, I want to learn about this, that, the other, you know, I want to get involved in this. Um, did you have to, you know, was there a lot of training or, or upskilling that you needed to do with your, with your colleagues?
0: I'd say more like handholding, you know, and, and part of it is like, um, right. So for them, they're like, if I reach out, like, how should I reach out? And it's like, I'll put together an email for you so that, you know, it's, it's, um, that, you know, you can tell her and make it sound like your own. Like, I'm not going to you know hold you to the fire that you have to send the exact thing that I write. Um, but it's like, here's how I would pitch like being on the show. Um, so it was mostly handholding more than it was like upselling or, or kind of doing some training and, and things like that. Um. But again, you know, yeah, there's a certain level of like managing up um, and, and setting your colleagues up for success too, right? Like if, if they're going to take the time to, to reach out, you know, you want them to be in a position where they're going to be successful. So it's it's honestly just like really working with them to make sure like they have what they need. Um, and a lot of that is like, here's how we message the show. Here's how we would write about it. Here are the guests that I think would be most relevant that we've had on that, you know, you can leverage to make this person feel like they are a part of it. Um, and then it's also like including them in, in the process as well, right? So it's, um, if they have prospects, they probably, you know, I have one um, sales guy who wants to get FaceTime. So it's a good way for him to say hello. And, and so like figuring out how to, um, you know, doing that a, a little bit. So I don't think it was necessarily like devel- developing like a ton of new skills or, or, or doing all that. But I, I think it's mostly just, you um, trying to figure out the most effective way to, to do it and and do it in a way that um, your teammates feel like it's a collaborative process that they're involved and in. it's not, um, you know, not something that I am like, you know, here's, you know, being very prescriptive. I was, you know, I think just trying to be very collaborative instead of being very prescriptive in, in a lot of ways.
2: But let's let's talk about tool sets because you know this isn't this isn't a new uh, a new initiative that you were doing um, team again team of one reiterating that point for our listeners now I understand that your team has expanded but at the time when you were doing this yeah. team of one so talk us through what were the tool sets you know we talked mindset we talked skill set now we want to know about the tool sets what did you need that you didn't have or what did you have that you were able to leverage
0: yeah. So, I mean, the cool thing about like doing a podcast too is, is, I mean, it's almost a little bit like marketing, right? It's like, how much do you want to spend? I mean, it depends. Um, and I think like when I initially started figuring this out, um, I was like, okay, like we got zoom, I got like AirPods, I can probably get away with that. Um, but for me, like, I also wanted it to sound somewhat professional, um, and so I did do a little bit of research on like podcasts, like, um, like recording apps or like recording studios. Um, and, you know, there's probably a ton out there. Um, StreamYard is one obviously we're using. And, um, but I did sort of do a little bit of research. And, and for me, the, the big thing that I wanted was, was something that could maybe help my audio sound good. And what I was worried about was Zoom was it zoom doesn't really have any features where if the audio or the internet like dies um like helping to overcome sort of that um aspect of kind of the remote world that we we were living in so those were kind of like my big requirements and i I wanted to find um a way to record that would kind of help make it easy, um, be easy for guests, easy for me and, and give me some tools, um, to make the audio and video look and sound pretty good. I ended up landing on uh, Riverside FM. Um, and I, you know, forget the tier. They're kind of a product led growth company. So they've got a couple different tiers. I ended up paying out of pocket. I think they have a free tier. Um, but I ended up like paying for, um, for them. And and that's been great. Um, they record the audio, um, kind of locally and then like upload it. Um, and then they have some tools as well to like put together, um, like from the video and audio files that get recorded, uh, like the full 40 minute thing, um, that you can do. So I, I started with Riverside as like my recording platform super easy to use, super easy to get started, not terribly expensive in the grand scheme of things, um, but just a lot of tools that I um, have been great. So that's been one tool that's been super effective um, to start with. So that's kind of like my foundational thing. Um, Then the next tool that I use is Descript. So, I will be an absolute champion for Descript. Uh, They don't pay me to say nice things about it, but I will um, say a million amazing things about Descript. Again, they have like a free tier, you know, expensive tier, whatever. Um, But Descript then has a bunch of tools that I use to make short clips with, uh, to produce a transcript, to clean up the audio um, and make it sound even more professional Um, And really to kind of do this like next level of um, spit and polish on the audio and video. Um, And we can kind of go into more detail on that. Um, But then just script I'll use to to kind of make um, probably like three, you know, short clips that I can use for social and kind of the final um, tool or the final full video and audio um, show. And then uh, for the short clips, then I kind of dumped those into Canva and I used Canva to kind of clean up. I know some people actually, you can do the short clips right from Descript, but um, I was already using Canva for like other design projects and, and different things. So um, it just became kind of my own workflow. It was just easy to, um, if I'm designing a PDF or um, slides or, or something, I'm already using Canva. So I'm just gonna use that for for video. Um, and I would kind of create some templates in canva. so once I upload the short clip, I can just easily like change some headlines and and you know do very little manipulation because once I've built this template I can kind of use it a thousand different um, for a thousand different videos um,
2: and, and I will interject here and say that the canva video uh, editing tool is pretty slick. I mean I've been using canva I think since it first yeah. came out you know i I'd like to think that I'm like, you know, patient zero with Canva. Okay. Uh, and then when they started with the video, I'm like, wow, this is pretty, I mean, it's pretty, pretty darn good, I have to say. And and you don't have to be a a video editing whiz to to make it look good, you know? Well,
0: I mean, the, the crazy thing too about Canva is if I wanted to even go, um, so like we, I was only focused on LinkedIn for like, I, I was like, we're focusing on LinkedIn. We're gonna like build our LinkedIn presence there, um, and I suppose like YouTube as well, just because it's like the sort of video library and channel and all that. Right. Um, but if I wanted to easily do like a start like a TikTok account or like Instagram, Canva makes it super easy to take like a video that you make a 1080 by 1080, and then just flip it to. The layout for like a vertical or yeah. or TikTok, and so if I was actually like even more maniacal than I was, I could then even like have launched an Instagram and TikTok and had probably been like all over the place and probably stretched myself like way too thin and like burnt out and and uh, wanted to die. But you could do that, <laughs> like if you were in that mindset. Like I mean, like frankly, I have I have like kids in a family, so I'm not like <laughs> in the midnight oil, like. Uh, it's important to me to like get dinner on the table and do bath time and put them like read books at bed. But if you're a, a single marketer who is like in your mid 20s and you're like, you don't have a family and other obligations, like hats off with Canva. Yeah, you could use that to like, as a team of one, a podcast, Canva, like now you've got like a TikTok account and Instagram, and you are like everywhere to everyone yeah all over the place um it's unbelievable what um that can do as a as a person with really no design or like no video editing experience no design experience um i'm able to make stuff that i think looks pretty good that's like on brand like the right, right. fonts right colors you know um look good sound good um and plays well and i mean yeah it's it's un it's unreal what they've I think in some ways created um,
2: it's really democratized this idea of a creator economy. I mean uh, y- you know, you just said it. it, it's on brand, you got the fonts, you got the colors. Now you drop in the video and with one button, if you upgrade to the, to the paid account with Canva, literally with one oh, button, yeah. you can format it in just with one button. It will, it will just spit out all these different formatting um Sizes, uh, so, so you don't even have to do it, you don't even have to manually do it, it will do it for you. So okay, it's that I will
0: have to look at because oh, cause
2: yeah, yeah, I, I, upgrade,
0: upgrade. No, no, I have the I have the I pay for pro like, camera. oh, okay, it's an automatic. I as soon as I started using it, it was like, this is a no brainer, I'm gonna pay the 120 bucks a year out of my own pocket for it, right? Right, um, <laughs> but I didn't realize it has that. But that, I mean, that's a complete game changer if it can do oh, that. Oh, yeah, um,
2: oh, yeah, it's right up at the t- I'll show you after the call. You literally. You say like there's a drop down and you click multiple sizes, you click the sizes that you want, or you can input that and then bam. And then all the different sizes will open up a new tab in your browser. And so you'll have that layout. Now you do have to finagle it a little bit, I'll be honest. You do have to kind of finesse it because when it when it resizes, it doesn't have the same proportions sometimes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you gotta go in there and tweak a little bit, but it's uh but it's super easy to do that. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. Exactly. I'm going to bring us pretty much, I think, full circle back to mindsets really quick here. But <laughs> everything we're talking about right now really gets at Gabby mentioned democratize. I think really what it's what's happening is, you know, at one point, whatever, say, three four years ago, let's just say, you could differentiate yourself by the level of production, and you still can. Don't get me wrong; like you can really professionally produce your video. But the, that bar has gotten so much lower to be able to get really solid production quality, where, like you said, it's a couple of cloud tools and a HD cam. And now there's four, you know, 4k cams. And most people at this point, if they really want to just hook up your phone for 4k, right? Like there's all sorts of apps out there that exist. You can get really high quality video. It's a $150 microphone. You can go a little more expensive if you want, right? It's not difficult to do high production, then you pop it in and as long as you have very basic skills, you can do some animation, it's you know, on on your in your videos, things like that, and you're done. So where I'm going with this is the your content quality, the 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 actual interview content, the questions you ask, the rapport you build with your guest, the entertainment value maybe, what like any and all of those things, that's where that's where it is, right? Like it's that you have to have that mindset where you're not gonna outproduce somebody not really at least the average person will
0: i yeah i mean not outproduce but i think like in some ways um in some ways you can like i mean i joke like one of uh we are like demo video uh you know demo video at q squared is um is uh i just did a screen recording so we you know our product is a um mobile payment so we it send a text message with the healthcare bill. Um, and then the bill has a payment button kind of just embedded with it. Right. Um, so I had the tech team just send me like a sample text with like a dummy bill and whatever. And I just, I did a screen recording of like me on my phone, getting the text, opening it, running through and like paying for it in like 45 seconds. And, uh, and then I took that screenshot and I like uploaded it to Canva, threw it on a branded color background with like two bullet points and then picked some like, you know, funky bass music to put like, <laughs> underneath it, you know? I mean, the and then like the production of it is not great, frankly, like at Athena Health, we that if I had suggested like, here's what we should do for like a demo video is like, we're going to do a screen recording of like on a phone. I would have gotten like laughed out of the room because like they had a seven person video production editing team. But I made that video in I don't know, it took me like an afternoon to like pull that together. Threw it up on YouTube. We were able to like upload it to um to like LinkedIn. And we like ran that as like bottom of the funnel LinkedIn ads, like or top of the funnel, whatever. We just ran it as like LinkedIn ads, a video ad. Like it did really well, like to people to see that. And we're like, Oh shit. Like this is what that is. And like right. here are the three big, like selling points of it, like right in one thing. Um, yeah, the production of that mic is not good, but the content is, and the, like, I just feel like, yeah, in the last like couple years, like there have been so many tools that have come out that have allowed small teams or, or teams, um, to do more with less than there ever has before in Mm -hmm. marketing. Um, If you had told me, you know, when I started my marketing career like seven years ago eight years ago or whatever, that like I would essentially gotten to a place where like I could run um, almost like a full-fledged like marketing program that we were like doing at Athena Health with like very little budget and one person, I would have like been like, no way. But because of the way that the dynamics have changed, where it's like so focused on content and pushing that content out into the world and hoping, you know, building an audience and all that stuff. Like, yeah, smaller teams, if they just have like an ounce of creativity and know-how and, you know, uh, like chutzpah to like just get some shit done, this is like the best time to be a marketer where you can get more done with less than like ever before.
1: Yeah, well and, we're, we're at this place where it's like we, we can do it now right it's it's one of those where it becomes more and more saturated so and we're seeing it as more and more content gets created now it's like okay well now we got to level up what's the next level yeah how do i get better quality with the same volume et etc yeah. et
2: well and i think it's also a good way a good like proof of concept you know you could you could take that very um basic, you know, kind of rudimentary video, put it out there, proof of concept. Oh yeah, people, you know, it's converting, we're getting, and then you can take that idea, give it to your external video partners, or if you have yeah. a large uh, department with video and, and and creative and everything, you could say, Hey, look, you know, we tested this in market. We have a good feeling about it. Can we can we take this and blow it up and, you know, do the whole production and everything? I, I think that, that that's what these tools allow us to do as marketers is, you know, be nimble, get crafty, put some things out there um, and then test and learn and then take that and, and then do it better. Uh, that, you know, that's the biggest thing that I love about being a marketer is that you have permission to do something, put it out there and then make it better. You know, people people expect that people expect that whatever the whatever you put out there today is going to end up being better tomorrow and it's going to be even better the day after. And I think that's just a universal um, truth of, of being in marketing is, oh, you did a nice thing. you Oh, good job. But you're going to come back next year and it's going to be even better. And we're going to be right here waiting for you and it's and, and that more revenue and it's good, right <laughs> and that's and that's what i love i think that's what i love more than anything about being in marketing is that there is this just understanding that that you, it's going to be better you know whatever even if you spent the 5 whatever thousand ten thousand twenty five thousand whatever it was you spent you can always make it better
0: uh no i i 100% agree um because again, like I think with marketing, it's like you're it's that ongoing conversation that you're having, whether it's through ads or through content or or whatever. Um, and those are always being sort of tweaked and played with and improved upon, or you're learning um, learning stuff and kind of trying to figure out um, is this even worth optimizing? How we optimize this the most we. We possibly can and um and you know it's like for us it was funny it's like at athena where um you know we were had a newsletter and it was really read, and and all this whole thing and we eventually came to the conclusion we were spending so much time like worried about like um like the subject line like we'd send the newsletter with the subject line we'd like sweat over you know and we got to a point where we just realized that it actually didn't matter that like if the subject line was, uh, like, new from Athena Health, that that was just as good as, like, whatever we, and so we just stopped wasting time on that, because it just, it didn't actually improve the results of, like, that program, Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, like, that sort of constant tweaking and experimenting, I mean, it's not for everybody, but, like, I mean, I think for a lot of modern marketers, I mean, it is, that's the, It's like trying to solve a puzzle that can't really be solved, uh, which is kind of like the fun thing for me um, Mm. in some Mm. ways. Yeah.
2: Exact mindset, skill set, tool set. Now let's hear about the results. So you've got this podcast going, James. Tell us, what has it done for you so far and for your company?
0: I'd like to think it played a small part in us getting acquired. So uh, we, in mid-December, um, were acquired by a larger, uh, patient financing company in the space called Access One. Um, and I think, um, you know, obviously that was a really great, uh, sort of exit and end for the founders, you know, the, the people who started the company, I mean, they put four, five years of, of really hard, dedicated work into, into sort of building something great. And, you know, not every company gets to that point. Um, and so I think, you know, super happy for for them to, to have such a great exit. And, and I'd like to think that um, a lot of the work that we did on, on sort of the branding and, and um, over the kind of 10 months, um, especially with the podcast, like helped play a role in, in sort of that successful exit. So um, I like to hang my head on that. Um, the great thing is that we're going to get to see, you know, now that we're, under the access one banner that the podcast is not going away um, you know, we're going to kind of get ready to, to revamp it under the access one brand. Um, and, and so now we're going to get to see, you know, with a longer runway, just kind of what, what it can kind of do. So I'm, I'm excited to see what results beyond um, kind of the small role it probably played in, in sort of that successful exit um, had. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, we, you know, I think um, results wise, it'll be, you know, I'm I'm excited to see its impact on, you know, can it have an impact on funnel and and demand and and all, you know, revenue and and all of those things as well. I'm kind of excited to to find that out this year.
1: I mean, you you mentioned you were using some of the, some of the creative for, uh, some of the video for ads and things like that. that. Is that uh, driven any impact from a pipeline perspective?
0: Um, so not so much at Q squared, um, you know, well, so frankly, uh, I think we, we had a lot of good awareness, but I think I I did sort of one campaign where I just kind of botched the, I mean, frankly, I failed miserably at, um, sort of the the conversion and, and having it go from like the LinkedIn to a place to, to convert them on our, our stuff. Um, so so that's my bad that's like a good learning lesson for me um but no i mean as far as as that goes i mean i think like i mean frankly at q squared we were flying a little bit by the seat of our pants we were like definitely not that sophisticated in terms of like that full like rev ops you know attribution um kind of humming in the background i think um I think we would have gotten to that place, you know, had we stayed sort of independent, I think we would have sort of built that this year would have been a huge priority to kind of figure that out. But for me, it was a little bit freeing because I knew that um, we just uh, had to, you know, drive awareness in some ways, like our biggest enemy was that not enough people knew who we are and what we did. So that was a little bit freeing where um, I didn't necessarily have to do ads and things that were so focused on like converting and and um, I could just kind of like focus on like driving awareness and, and stuff like that. So, But I do like to think like I'll, I'll take the one guest when I did do some, some ads for the podcast that I was able to convert a guest uh, to be on the show. It's not going to lead to business um, certainly, but like the fact that someone saw an ad and reached out and like wanted to then end up becoming a guest on the show, um, I'll, I'll hang my hat on that, um, that like we were able to kind of convert that. I think that's like a, a pretty cool indication of like using that content as ads, like can definitely work to like drive awareness and get people to engage and, and kind of create um, a little bit of a different inbound model than you know what most people are kind of
1: used to.
2: I think it's time for the lightning round, Mike. What do you think? I agree. Let's do it.
1: I'm so nervous. So, <laughs> nothing to be nervous about. This this is uh all easy easy stuff. So James, what is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success?
0: Um so
1: at Qsquared,
0: um we were I was basically doing uh inbound demo requests was um So basically growing traffic as the leading indicator, and then um, the month over month uh, number of uh, inbound demo requests that we were getting.
1: What is a new strategy or tactic you're looking forward to testing out this year? Uh, So this year
0: I am looking forward to... That's a great question. I think like having the resources to be in a place where I feel like I can do that. Um, one thing that I'm thinking about doing is taking, um, is how can I like repackage the podcast content into a way that, you know, we can use as a lead magnet. So, um, I think actually there's a company called Saleswell where I took this idea from, um, they had this thing where they were doing interviews and then they packaged it up as like a masterclass and they would, would call it like, come to our masterclass and, um so i'm excited about taking the podcast and seeing if i can use it um in a in a different way as like a a pure kind of lead magnet type activity um, cuz i do think at access one their main kpi um, is like marketing qualified leads and so um thinking about how i can take sort of what we're already doing on a content but then like how i can use that to drive um you know, kind of more demand capture in a kind of fun way that isn't, um, like a webinar or or something else that like most people might be sort of used to, um, at this point. So.
1: Makes sense. What is your least favorite business word or phrase? Oh boy. Um,
0: Oh God. Well, so I, I'm going to go a little bit of an opposite way. I actually like really like bad business jargon. Um, like, and I just like love how bad it is. I mean, everything from like, let's, you know, put a pin so in what's it. What's your favorite? What's let's, your favorite piece of business <laughs> jargon? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think like, definitely like, let's uh circle back. Um, Probably like the asshole in me, my most favorite is like the, like, Uh, when I get to send an email that's, like, per my previous email. (laughs) And it's just, like, I'm just forwarding, like, the answer to, like, that's, like, just see, like, three emails down if you read my email. Uh, So that's probably my most favorite is just being able to, like, have that sort of passive-aggressive business, uh, (laughs) like, jerk come out. Um, But I love everything about bad business jargon. I love how like, it's just become like its own thing unto itself. And like, um, and I just like my wife and I, we love to make fun of it. Like we now like use it at our home. We run our company like our family meeting at the dinner start, table. Let me let me circle back to you on that. I'm like yeah. I'm like oh, uh, our daughter has a. Let me circle back if I can. Uh, let's put a pin in that discussion. <laughs> uh, has
2: has your child has your daughter started using these terms or not I can yet? I hope one day I can. Only hope.
0: My, I will know that I have done my job well. Um, when when my daughter will look at me and say dad like let's take this offline for, like, a later discussion." Um,
2: oh my god that's hilarious yeah
0: um you know like family qbrs and uh, <laughs> uh we haven't gotten to the place where we're doing like 360 reviews with my daughter yet but oh, like i do okay. think um she's getting old enough where we should start to uh we're deciding whether we want to do like year-end 360 reviews or if we want to like coach her up in the moment it's a little bit hard to know uh, how we want to approach that um
2: well we we have a six-year-old daughter who we always joke and say that you know she's going to be a an fbi negotiator one day because she's she's really good at negotiation Um, When you figure out your strategy, tell us so that we can, you know, we want to take some notes from you on this.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's amazing. Uh, That's a good, I mean, it's a good, um, I've been trying to work on that with my daughter, like negotiation skills, but also like, uh, frankly, like advocating. Like I tell this to her all the time, like you have to advocate for yourself. Like no one's going to advocate for you, like you will. And I I feel like I've tried to instill that in her from the get-go. Like if you need something, you have to be able to speak up you got to be able to like um unfortunately it's worked like a little too well
1: um, yeah, yeah, just, just, it's funny you bring that up <laughs> we're taking this on a total tangent but it's okay um, just uh i think it was yesterday morning uh, i was taking taking her to school i usually to drop off and she wanted me to look up a, a song on spotify and i just really didn't want to i'm like no i don't i don't, I don't think it's gonna work i'm not gonna be able to find it she's like well, Papa, you know you don't know you won't know, you won't know until you try. I was like, <laughs> You're right. I won't. I guess we're gonna give it a go. The, uh, I've had to do that too. Where
0: I'm like, ugh, like the Bluetooth. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on, but like it won't connect to the thing, so I'm sorry. Yeah. You can't listen to Kids Bop 36. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I say in my car because um, I don't yeah. know for for some reason it I I do struggle with connecting yeah. my Pairing my my device to my car. don't don't ask, but yeah, um.
0: YouTube sucks. It's not yeah, your fault. Yeah, <laughs> your the worst.
2: And you know, our daughter got into this whole encanto. You know, don't oh, yeah. talk about Bruno yeah. and this and the So, whenever we would drive my car, we'd be like, "Oh, sorry, we can't connect Spotify." Well, lo and behold kiss k-i-i-s or whatever the heck the kiss 95 station whatever the freak station it was now they're playing bruno on the radio so now you can't get away from it now we can't you know and now she gets everyone's
1: talking about bruno now
2: she's like oh well but it was on the radio the last time i'm like well i just don't know when it's gonna come again
0: (laughs) the uh the best is like having to explain what the radio is to like a (laughs) five-year-old because like they don't understand she'll be like, Oh, we're listening to the radio. Like, can you just like pick the songs for me? And I'm like, right. hey, dude, that's like the radio. That's not how it works. Like you just have to listen to what they play for you. <laughs> and, like, they just yeah, don't explaining
1: live story. anything. Like, I remember growing where... up
0: in a world where you, you all your media consumption is like on demand Netflix and Spotify. They have no concept of like, uh, I tried analog
2: to, media. Right? Analog,
0: <laughs> I tried to explain to her the other day, like uh, about pay phones
2: oh my god and it like
0: just <laughs> melted her brain it was like you had to put a quarter in a phone in the mall what's a mall like, is that, like did you have to call amazon and it was like no there was like this big building with stores that you had to go to to buy stuff and yeah it's
2: kids these days so i kids tell you it's all right. <laughs> uh, Mike, you skipped over one of these or I don't know if you did not. Get to it but oh you did not. Okay. I'm, we're still going. Sorry. Um
1: Sorry. so where do we leave off? Um favorite business or marketing book. Ooh.
0: Um that's a good one. Um I will say it's not a necessarily specific marketing book. Um because as you know, as parents, uh, you don't really actually get to read on your own. I mostly just read one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I will say, um, for me, it's, it's, it comes back to like writing. So like, uh, uh Strunk and white so uh eb white uh wrote a book on writing back in the 70s uh so eb white is he wrote charlotte's web and you know mm-hmm. he is like if you read any of his books like you're like man like this dude could write um it's he's so succinct his sentences are like perfect i mean it is like just you know um go pick up charlotte's web and like just uh dip yourself in his language and how economical it is but he wrote a book um on writing it was like his writing tips for like how to write really well um and he wrote it with uh one of his professors when he was teaching he was a professor at cornell and um there was another professor who helped write it with him this guy strunk i don't know his name he's not really important because eb white is the man um but he's got this book yeah um Uh, And so Strunk and White, it's like just this famous book on writing. I turn to that probably once a year um, uh, just to like breathe in uh, the knowledge that he Mm. kind of shares on uh, how to write really well. So I I come back to that. and then uh, Eat Shoots and Leaves is another good uh, book on writing. Uh, I really like like Stephen King's book on writing. I forget the name of it, but um, that's another one. So probably a lot of like the books that I turn to um, are mostly like writing based on like how to just be um, really top notch. But then I've started to dip my toes into marketing books. I'm reading Obviously Awesome uh, by um, April Dunford right now. I'm like positioning, so trying to like break out of my cocoon and, and do that. So I'm going through that right now. And that's really good. I mean, I don't didn't really know much about positioning before reading it. So like, that's been kind of really interesting, like how foundational, like in terms of like marketing, um, that is, you know, for like your product and company and and all of that. Um, so that's been really good. So I, I'd say, uh, obviously, awesome because I'm reading it right now, and then Strunk and White because um, it's like an OG, and you know, it's uh, it, it, you know, no matter what anyone says, it'll it'll definitely help with copywriting or blog posts or or anything that you got to do.
1: Awesome. i, have to, I have to have to add that one to the list. Yeah. Um, wh- what is a marketing best practice that you hate or that you think needs to needs to go?
0: That is, uh, you know, yeah. I think being so KPI driven, um, in some ways, like I think, I think like having so much data is obviously good, um, as far as like you know being data driven and performance driven and all that. But but I do think to some degree, like it, you know, you can overly kill yourself where you're like testing you know, AB testing this and that and, you know, seeing which one wins. And um, yeah. like, I, I do think in some ways having so much access to data, I mean, it's good and it's it's bad. Um, and I think sort of that, that best practice of like relying so heavily on it where you're taking a little bit of the art and fun out of it. Like, I mean, some of the best marketing stuff that, that happens is because someone just said, you know, fuck it, let's throw this against the wall and see what happens and, um, and, and kind of create something fun and memorable. And, and, you know, maybe they wouldn't have done that if they were um, being so, you know, driven by kind of the metrics and the leading indicators and this, that, and the other things. So um, I, for me, I think that would be kind of the the big one. Um, You know, it's, it's okay to have a little bit of fun and maybe not have an ROI attached to everything you, you do. I think, you know, part of it is I think the the having the ROI and the this that and the other thing is uh, um, has been a crutch for a lack of being able to like manage up and sell, right? So like internally selling your programs and your different stuff, like falling back on ROI, I think sometimes has become a crutch for like the lack of being able to like, dude, if you got to sell something to the CEO, like sometimes there is no ROI, mm-hmm. um, and and but you still got to be able to sell it. Um, or or manage up or convince someone that it's like worth trying. Um, And and sometimes there's no like ROI or or hard numbers that can be attached to something to to justify um, doing it. So. um, Yeah, for
1: sure. I think we talk about this a lot internally, which is there's this over-reliance on the quantitative side of things. And I think it's that qualitative where, you know, you might not have direct attribution, but you can. There are other ways to measure and other ways to understand whether it's something you're doing is being effective or not. Right. Totally, I think that's. It sounds like that's what you're talking about.
0: I mean, that was so much more succinct and well put than I clearly <laughs> just said. But yeah, that's, but to a T, that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: Let's do. We have. We do bonus, quest, or yes. bonus so, questions. Yes.
1: So. So, tell us something uh what's something about you that most wouldn't know
0: oh god um i mean i'm a pretty like open book i think um, there isn't anything i you know i i think um if you just know me from linkedin um i would say the one thing that is surprising to people is um i uh I like hate most people, but like people tend to really like me <laughs> it's, it's this weird. Um, like, uh, I remember Is it weird
1: that I can relate. <laughs>
0: yeah, Like it's, it's, uh, I don't know if that makes me like a, more of like a cat than a dog or something. But, um, I remember one of my coworkers at a previous job was like, man, James, I was so intimidated by you for like the first six months. I'd be like, why? What? Like, I'm like the nicest, easiest going person, and um, and she's, well, you just like never talk to me, and I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a reason to, like, why would I, you know, like, like, I'm not gonna go out of my way to be nice to, you know, uh, just because you're my coworker, um, but yeah, so I think that's that's kind of um, it's like me in a nutshell. Like, I I am like uh, I can be kind of like very uh, uh, hard to. Hard to read sometimes but um i mean most people end up i'm i I am a people person and most people end up like loving me um quite a bit even if i i'm generally like an introvert and like uh just generally don't want to have to deal with people uh on a daily basis so fair enough that's a good one i don't know i mean i like hiking that's like but you can tell that from my linkedin um
2: all right, I have a question for you here, James. Because in your bio, you said that you have a lot of opinions on things like coffee, beer, oh, and music. Sure. So, I want to hear some of those opinions. What are your opinions on coffee, beer, and music? Uh,
1: That's a lot of opinions. You got to pick one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, uh, I'm very opinionated, but they're all not strongly held. Okay. Um, so what I what I tell people is, uh, I. Um, like, I'm not, like, uh, you know how like, there are some, like, craft beer people that, like, you'll go and and they're, like, I'm not drinking Bud Light. Like, I got to go, like, it's, like, dude, it's, like, we're at a party. Like, we're drinking Bud Light. Like, <laughs> um, so it off. So, I am not, like, a jerk about my opinions where, you know, some people are, like, I'm not drinking Starbucks or, like, Dunkin' Donuts. Um I will, but if you're at my house, like I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely making you like, uh, pour over coffee in my Mm -hmm. MX with my gooseneck kettle that's been imported from Japan and I've got the coffee scale and, you know, and it's going to be all on point, um, with, with that whole thing. So, um, yeah, I like, you know, it's, it's like, especially in the last two years where, um, you know, uh, you got to, find the little ways to like enjoy your life and treat yourself. And and so I think like, you know, sometimes like that morning coffee ritual um, has, has been one of it. Um, so yeah, I definitely enjoy a good, like single origin pour over a mm. uh, cup of coffee. Um, yeah. For craft beer, you know, beer again, like I worked at Lord Hobo. Um, and so I'm definitely like a kind of craft beer, beer person in, in Massachusetts. We have a ton of like, exceptional breweries um but yeah i mean i but i am more than happy to drink you know miller high life and the champagne of beers and and uh um as much as i am going out to find like you know paying thirty dollars for like a four pack of um <laughs> something which is can get a little bit absurd in, in the beer scene Um, And then as far as music, I mean, yeah, I used to go to concerts a lot, but I mean, it's been two years. I think the last concert I went to was I went and saw uh, Carly Rae Jepsen at the Massachusetts State Fair. And that's like the last concert I went to before the pandemic. And part of me just thinks like, I should just go out on that high note and like never, never go <laughs> to another concert ever again. Like just not even bother uh, trying to to one up that because that's that's going to be a hard one to top. So
2: well, it, I don't know if you're a big Beatles fan. I'm a huge Beatles fan, and uh, and Paul McCartney's on tour right now. No. Yes, and he's coming to Boston. He's going to he, be in Boston.
0: Yeah, he's playing Fenway Park. And Fenway so, Park. Uh, Fenway Park. I'm having a hard time. So like, my dad is like super Beatles. i mean that's like all he listens to yeah uh, just about and so like i've been dipped in the um the religion of uh Beatles. the fab four and yeah. uh so part of me is like i'm kind of wondering is my dad's 75th birthday this year and I'm, I'm kind of wondering if i should get try to get some like paul mccartney tickets at uh fenway but he's got some health issues so it's a little bit like is he even up for that? Like that might be like worth more trouble than it's, than it's worth. But um yeah, but that would be, uh yeah. I mean, some of those old timers, dude, I hear Paul McCartney still puts on a mean show.
2: You know, I, I uh, it's my bucket list dream item to be able to see the two, fi- the two remaining Beatles in concert. So Ringo and, and, and Paul, Sir Paul, um, our daughter got indoctrinated to, to the Beatles too, and and she she loves the Beatles. When she was about three ish, two ish, three ish, um, she could she knew who each of the Beatles were. She could okay. pick them up in a video, like in a picture. She could see, oh yeah, that's Paul, George, you know. Yeah. She knew, and then she also she has a very good ear for music, and she would listen to their catalog and know who was singing.
0: That's impressive,
2: right? I feel like I—I I feel like I did my job as a mom at that I, point.
0: I think you could just like retire, just like hang <laughs> up, like the, and just like call it it, just like walk out, use Mike with the kids, like you've done your job. Um, I did it. <laughs> good. Good luck. The rest is on you. <laughs> so are you gonna go see, or are you gonna try to see?
2: I would love to, love, love, love to. The problem is like we have an, inc- I was just no. looking at our calendar. We have an incredibly busy no. spring and summer with travel. We have a lot of business travel and personal travel and he's not, I wish he was coming to Chicago. Yeah, he's, not, he's not
1: coming anywhere close, he's which not, is weird. He's
2: not anywhere near the Midwest. We're based in, uh, in the twin cities. So.
0: Which is surprising that he's not playing like the, I would think
1: like Chicago. Chicago, right. Wrigley like Field. The- yeah, The only thing in the middle of the country. Country. I mean, well, it's weird. You said he's doing something in Tennessee and then like Dallas, Fort Worth, which that one makes sense, but
2: yeah. So I don't know. I don't know, James. We have a busy, uh, our five year proof point anniversary is in June and we have a big shindig happening in the Twin Cities in June. And so his tour is like right in smack dab in the middle of all this travel and things that we have going on. So, but I, but I'm also kind of thinking to myself, I don't know how many more opportunities i'm gonna have to be able to see a beetle alive
0: Um, so i don't know very few and and i i will say like it's so easy to talk yourself out of it i know Uh, i know but i mean he might not do that many more tours uh because he's got to be he's in his
2: 80s i believe right
0: um and and i just think about this too like all the concerts i never went to and then like it's just gone I made the effort to go see Paul Simon on his final tour. And I got to say like that, I mean, was pretty spectacular. Um, I mean, he literally played like all his hits and you're like, oh my God, this guy has like one fucking bop after another. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I will not forget that show. Um, and so even like, yeah, like a Paul McCartney, like sometimes you just got to like talk yourself into it more than talk yourself out of it. I know. Uh, especially if like you are i mean as you can see it like you are i mean i don't think ringo tours at all no no um
2: at least he hasn't in a really long time okay mike you know what to get me for my birthday then you know it's coming up
0: and i think you know again you know fly into somewhere you know you can if he's playing like denver what's that like a hour and a half
1: flight from where you're not though that's the weird thing he's he's, pretty much either east coast or west coast other than like i think one in tennessee you said
2: tennessee texas and then california boston maryland area um so i don't know we'll see we'll see we'll see james it's it's on my bucket list for sure
0: i mean if it's so here's the thing if it's on your bucket list you kind of just have to do it i know i'm not gonna like you know try to talk you into um you See have to talk.
2: Like, you have to talk Mike into it, not me. I'm I'm no, ready to go. It's no, Mike. No, no. Mike's is, holding me back.
0: No, this is not, <laughs> listen. You're your own woman, and you uh, <laughs> you clearly can make decisions on your own uh, that impact your life. Right. <laughs> and so, like, while Mike may have a say in it, like the final arbiter is you, and like what you want to, um, you know, when you're dying are you going to remember whatever or are you going to remember that like you didn't go see Paul McCartney oh, when gosh. he was on tour and chances are good that you're going to remember Paul McCartney if you're as, as big as a Beatle fan as you, as you are. Um, and especially if it's on your bucket list, right? Right. Like, right, um, right. I, I had this like weird thing on my bucket list, which, which I got to check off. Um, so this thing on my bucket list was actually going to see a concert, uh, while I was traveling in a, so this is gonna be like a really weird bucket list. So this is actually kind of good answer <laughs> to like your first question, but it was um, my bucket list was like I want to go to a concert with like an artist that I love while I'm traveling in a foreign country. But then like find out the concert is like that day, and I've got to like just go to the just concert go. and whatever. That's like and a sp-
2: very very specific tr- thing. Very yeah. very specific.
0: Yeah, because when I was traveling in Europe. Um, I tried to go see Neil Young, uh, when he was in France, I was like somewhere close by and I was like, Oh, I want to go see Neil Young. Like we should go to this concert and I couldn't make it happen. And after that, I was like, man, it would be really cool to like be traveling in a foreign country and like get to see like a concert, like a big concert that you really, um, love. And uh, so I did get to check that off my bucket list. I was in New Zealand uh, back in 2013. I'm a huge Nico Case fan. I don't know if you guys know her or listen to her at all. No. Um, and she's absolutely spectacular. And um, and I was like looking at it. We like landed in New Zealand. We were like in Wellington. And they were having this big arts festival with a lot of concerts around the thing. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Like Nico Case is playing at this like bar down the street like from the hotel we were, and i'm like talked to my wife i was like do you want to go see like nico case tonight and she was like yes and like we were able to get tickets and like kind of go see this um uh artist that we both love um quite a bit and it was the first time we had saw her like in this little you know uh small auditorium and in, in uh in the middle of new zealand and uh so i got to check that off. And and that's a story I tell. And it's something I will never forget. And my yeah. point is that like,
2: I know. Okay.
1: No, I, regrets. I, no regrets. You only have
0: one life. And if it's meant to be with Paul McCartney, <laughs> you got to make it happen uh, no matter what.
2: I love it. I love it. I think we need to have another podcast that's just like marketers and music, you know, talking to marketers that love music, because you're not the first person that we get on the show. And then we just go on a rant about, about music. And, and I think there's, there's something there. So our next podcast will have to be, you know, Mark talking marketers and music or something like that. Marketers, coffee and music. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see
0: about that. I like the angle as like a second show. Oh, um, we have and,
2: like three shows. My God, I, I don't even know. It'll be like a fourth show at this yeah. point.
0: <laughs> I mean, My... you st- stash it away, right? It's like, you know, yeah. a media company and all that. So um, who
2: knows? Maybe, maybe. We could eat hot
0: wings while we're talking about music. Uh,
1: <laughs> did somebody, some good... somebody just do some weird hot wings thing? I don't know. Oh, I think it was the, it was the was guys at Bomb, Bomb Bomb.
2: Bomb Bomb did something okay. that was kind of like hilarious. Um, well, James, it was such a, a pleasure to have you on the show today. I think we could have easily gone on for like another. oh God, just geeked out about Paul
1: McCartney. We could have, got, for the next we could have hour. geeked
2: out for sure. I, I would have loved that. But um, but thank you so much for joining us on the Master Marketer Show. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk podcasts or marketing your music?
0: Uh, slide into my DMs on LinkedIn. Right, <laughs> I think that's the.
2: That's, that's, what the young kids say, right? that's
0: what the young kids say, right? That's what the young kids say. Right, right. Uh yeah, that that's it. I mean, I don't have like TikTok. I am on the gram. Um I do carrier pigeons and smoke signals as well, but that's just for the people who really love me. Um <laughs> but yeah, definitely LinkedIn. I think it's probably just the best, you know. Uh I'm happy to connect with, with anyone. Um I just reach out and say hi.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Well, James, we will slide into your DMS and talk about music any day. And again, thank you so much for, for being on the show. We oh, love
0: it. Guys, thanks for having me. This is a blast. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit
1: our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library, complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday
0: wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.